Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Israel steps up preparations for a ground offensive in Gaza. Two Trump allies strike plea deals in Georgia. And Republicans keep trying and keep failing to pick a speaker. It has been an absolutely head-spinning week of news. And former White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain is standing by with reaction to all of it. Plus, as the first aid trucks finally get into Gaza, President Biden's new special envoy to the Middle East, David Satterfield, joins me for his very first interview since taking the job. Also today, the dominoes start falling as those Trump allies plead guilty and agree to testify against their co-defendants. The law firm of Weissman and Katiel is here, they're back, to tell us what it means for the case against a co-defendant named Donald Trump. And later, my one-on-one conversation with Senator Raphael Warnock. I'll get his view on the war in the Middle East and that high-profile legal case playing out in his home state. This week felt like a real inflection point in so many ways, because we're all living in a country grappling with growing threats of anti-Semitism, of Islamophobia, and deep, deep divisions over how the United States government should respond to a growing conflict in the Middle East. And meanwhile, we have a Republican Party revealing itself wholly incapable of governing, even amongst themselves. And as we digest all of this, and believe me, it's a lot to digest— I keep thinking about something President Biden said in his address to the nation on Thursday night. Tonight, there are innocent people all over the world who hope because of us, who believe in a better life because of us, who are desperate not to be forgotten by us and are waiting for us. But time is of the essence. I know we have our divisions at home. We have to get past them. We can't let petty, partisan, angry politics get in the way of our responsibilities as a great nation. We can't let petty, partisan, angry politics get in the way of our responsibilities as a great nation. Unfortunately, that's kind of what's happening right now. Well, we're seeing some small signs of progress when it comes to aid for Gaza, with the first trucks making their way across the border, maybe more coming. Uh, The House of Representatives still does not have a speaker. And until they do... They cannot pass any laws or allocate any new funding. They can't keep the government open for anything. They can't get aid to Israel. They can't get aid to Ukraine. Their latest candidate, Jim Jordan, tried and failed three times to secure the gavel. And although he ultimately fell short, his candidacy and how close he came is a reminder of just how broken our system is right now. This person, Jim Jordan, he came close to becoming Speaker of the House, second in line for the presidency. He still denies the 2020 election was free and fair. That's where we are. A number of candidates are now throwing their hats in the ring for the speakership. Many, many candidates, almost hard to keep up with, including Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer. But his bid may be over before it takes off, after Donald Trump said he does not support him, pointing in part to Emmer's criticism of him following January 6th. That's right. The former president of the United States, I know we're not surprised, but it's worth restating, is getting involved in the election for the Speaker of the House because he is mad that a leading candidate did not stand on the side of the insurrectionists. That's what's happening. Ultimately, the GOP is now back to square one. 
and will hold a closed-door candidate forum tomorrow. Regardless of where this all lands, the lengths of the pressure campaign reveal something pretty sinister about the rot inside some factions of the Republican Party. Because over the last week, as Jim Jordan continued to lose his support, his supporters lashed out aggressively. Colorado Congressman Ken Buck received four death threats over his refusal to support Jordan. Congressman Drew Ferguson of Georgia said he also received death threats, and members of his family had become targets as well. He told Republicans in a closed-door meeting that the threats prompted him to dispatch a sheriff to his daughter's school, his daughter's school. And the wife of Nebraska Congressman Don Bacon said she started sleeping with a loaded gun after receiving menacing calls and texts. Behind closed doors... An ally of Jim Jordan framed this as basically the cost of doing business. Ohio Representative Warren Davidson said it wasn't Team Jordan's fault that holdouts are getting death threats. They were just getting the threats because they voted against Jordan. Well, that kind of response should be called out for what it is, normalizing political violence. Shouldn't take me to say this, but this behavior is not living up to what President Biden called for in his speech, holding up our responsibilities as a great nation. Because at the end of the day, while the war is raging in the Middle East and humanitarian crisis is deepening in Gaza, the party in control of the House of Representatives is basically eating itself from within, normalizing the threat of political violence to their own members, unable to elect a leader and unable to be a part in any response to multiple crises across the world. So if you're President Biden sitting in the Oval Office right now, facing two wars and a dysfunctional Congress, You have to try and bring an entire country together when one major party can't even bring itself together. Is that all even possible? Joining me now is someone who has worked alongside President Joe Biden for decades. He's been in these rooms in the Oval Office, former White House chief of staff and my former boss, Ron Klain. So, Ron, this is why you're elected president, why you run for president. But I just I just summarized a pretty dark situation in the world right now. War raging in the Middle East, Congress paralyzed. You know, the president as well as anyone. You've been in all these rooms. I mean, how is he dealing with these competing challenges behind the scenes right now? I mean, on a personal level, too. Look, I think it's a difficult situation, no question, but the president has the experience and the wisdom to lead us through this. I was encouraged to see Senator McConnell out this morning on TV, largely embracing the outlines of the package that the president sent to Capitol Hill. And I think that's a sign that it should have good sledding in the Senate. You still have this complete dysfunction in the House, and the House has to get its act together and constitute a House and begin to govern. Because after all, November 17th is coming up when the government runs out of funding. The president has deployed two carrier groups to the Middle East to deter the Iranians from escalating this conflict. And it would be a a gross unfairness and horrible if we asked men and women to serve on those ships in that dangerous part of the world and tell them they're not going to get paychecks because people in Washington can't get their act together. I wanted to ask you about, of course, Congress, we'll get to that, but also about sort of these growing tensions in the Middle East. I mean, the president gave a Oval Office address on Thursday night. We just showed a quote from that. He also said something that I thought was pretty interesting the day before, where he basically warned Israel, I heard, uh, of not repeating the same mistakes in rage that the United States made after 9-11. Did you hear that? You know him so well as a warning just to Israel about the scope of the scope of their military campaign. Was it about the potential to overreact to Hezbollah? Was it both? How did you hear those comments? Well, I think they were wise words from a wise president. I think he's just reminding the world and the Israelis 
that the U.S. did things that regretted after 9-11. We did a lot of things that were good. We did uh, things to combat terrorism. We ultimately brought Osama bin Laden to justice under President Obama. But we also launched a war in Iraq that was needless, that cost too many lives on both sides, and achieved nothing to promote American security. So I think the president's just saying in these times of great stress, uh, you need to be careful about your choices and understand the consequences of what you're doing. The president's been very clear from the start that the Israelis have a right and obligation to defend themselves and to combat terrorism and to, and to combat this Hamas evil brutality. But they also need to respect civilian lives and need to be careful to do it in a way that doesn't take needless civilian de- deaths. And the president's worked very hard to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. We finally saw some progress on that yesterday, thanks to the president's diplomacy with Egypt and Israel. And I know our USAID administrator, Ambassador Sam Power, has been on the phone all weekend trying to get other countries to help with this humanitarian crisis in Gaza as well. The president's proposed $100 million of immediate humanitarian aid. He's continuing to press that. He understands the civilian crisis in Gaza. And he's uh, talked also about combating Islamophobia and anti-Semitism here in our country. So it's a difficult time, but we have a wise, experienced president leading the way for us here in America. Uh, president Biden is not new to divisions within the party. Y- you have you are not new to divisions within the party either. I think uh, none of us are. And he's not new to being attacked himself. And Senator Chuck Schumer said uh, called out members of his own party this week who have called for a ceasefire and are blaming Israel for the hospital strike, saying they are taking Hamas's position. That is a pretty intense criticism. Some progressive members are also accusing President Biden of writing blank checks to Israel, urging him to call for a ceasefire. How how should he be navigating this? I mean, is it even possible to bring everyone together in this moment? Well, I think what the president's doing is the right thing, which is he's focused on what promotes the national security of the United States, which tries to minimize the loss of innocent life and tries to have the U.S. stand for freedom around the world. And I think that's why the package he sent to Congress to fund the defense of Israel and to help the Ukrainians get the Russians out of their country is the right thing to do. And while the president's been working so hard on humanitarian aid to Gaza also. And so I think uh, it's time for the voices to come down, the work to get done, to, to join in unequivocally condemning the brutal, brutal evil of Hamas and the terrorist attack of October 7th, and then, and then to go on with securing Israel, helping the civilians in Gaza who are innocent victims in all this, and uh, and making sure we're defending our allies in Ukraine as well. I want to turn to the chaos in the House of Representatives. Uh, you're, you're, none of that's new to you either, but you've worked with politics a long time. You've helped people negotiate deals. If Republicans ultimately needed Democrats to finalize a speaker, and they may, what should Democrats be asking for in return? I, I raise this because I think people think, oh, maybe they'll elect Hakeem Jeffries as speaker. That seems far-fetched. What else could they get through this negotiation? Well, I think it's important to have a speaker who wasn't dedicated to an insurrection and a speaker who understands the Constitution, even if it's someone, a Republican, that we're going to disagree with on many policies. I think it's also fair for Democrats to expect that the president's emergency aid package get a vote on the House floor, that if there are measures that both the majority of Democrats and the majority of Republicans support, 
those should get votes on the House floor, House floor and, uh, and that Democrats should be treated fairly in the House. And the House should go about its business of get, keeping the government open. As I said at the outset, we have men and women serving in the mil- Middle East and military bases in the region, on ships in the region. And the USS Carney, which heroically shut down two terrorist missiles this week, headed towards Israel. And to ask those men and women to do their duty while Congress refuses, while the Republican majority in the House refuses to do its duty of funding the government is outrageous. And so I think I'm not going to negotiate on behalf of the Democrats. Uh, uh, Leader Jeffries is more than capable of doing that. He's a great leader for our party on Congress right now. And Leader Jeffries and his team will have to work out whatever is possible. Right now, the Republicans have rebuffed any efforts by the Democrats to find a bipartisan solution. And they're left spinning in their own caucus division, uh, a caucus that Speaker Boehner, a Republican, not a Democrat, called the Chaos Caucus. And that's what we're seeing play out on Capitol Hill. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about the threats against lawmakers. I mean, many that have come out around this uh, speaker's race and those who didn't support uh, Jim Jordan. It's easy to become numb to this. Do you think this is something the Justice Department should be looking into? I mean, even investigating? Well, Jen, it's my practice not to discuss specific criminal matters that the Justice Department is or isn't looking into. But, um, but what I'll say is that, as you said, the normalization of political violence in this country has to be completely unacceptable. We can have our great divisions. We can have great debates. We can have divisions. We have elections. But the idea that the outcome of any election, election for the speaker or any other election, should be decided by violence and threats is un-American. And no one should have to fear that their daughter's going to school because the way they voted in the speaker's race. And so the, vi- the threats of violence, the threats that have been up on Capitol Hill needs to stop right now. And we need to have a rational conversation about who should be the next speaker. Hopefully Republicans will reach out to Democrats for a bipartisan solution. They, but if the Republicans just start doing it on their own, they should do it in an orderly way that is choose violence and choose insurrection. Ron Klain, thank you as always for your wisdom. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. And coming up, the eight trucks that have now made it over the border into Gaza, they've made it over, but they are still just a small fraction of what is desperately needed. Someone at the center of these negotiations, President Biden's newly appointed special envoy, David Satterfield, is standing by to talk about that in an exclusive interview coming up next. And later, two of the key figures in the Fulton County case plead guilty. We'll talk about why their testimony could have big implications for Donald Trump beyond the case in Georgia. Also this hour, part of my conversation with Reverend and Senator Raphael Warnock. I get his thoughts on the war in the Middle East and the high-profile legal case playing out in his home state. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 
As we all await the start of an Israeli ground invasion of Gaza, the Pentagon is sending more missile and air defense systems to the Middle East to protect U.S. troops from escalating attacks by Iran and its proxies in the region. It comes after we saw two breakthroughs this week. On Friday, Hamas freed two American hostages. Judith Renan and her daughter Natalie were turned over to the Red Cross after officials in Qatar mediated negotiations between the U.S. and Hamas for their release. You can see them in that photo. And for the first time since the war broke out, a convoy of 20 aid trucks successfully entered Gaza through the Rafah crossing yesterday, delivering critical humanitarian aid, including food, water, medicine, and medical supplies. Now, a second convoy of 17 trucks has assembled on the Egyptian side of the border and is standing by to deliver more. While these steps forward are important and they're hard fought to get here, they come a result, as a result of hours and days of difficult negotiations. There's still a great deal of work to do. According to new numbers released by Israel this morning, 212 hostages are still being held captive by Hamas. And up to 10 Americans are still unaccounted for, per the State Department. The aid that reached Gaza over the last 24 hours is also just a fraction of what will ultimately be needed on an ongoing basis to mitigate the deepening humanitarian crisis. This is all an example of how diplomacy can be slow. It can have many fits and starts. And every single step of progress often requires many hours of negotiation. Joining me now in his first interview since his appointment is someone who has been at the center of these negotiations, Special Envoy for Middle East Humanitarian Issues, David Satterfield. He's the former director of the James A. Baker Institute for Public Policy at Rice University and former and formerly served as U.S. Ambassador to Turkey and Lebanon. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for your service and jumping back into what is a very difficult situation on the ground. I just wanted to start by asking you about the convoys of trucks. We saw the first convoy of trucks. There are reports about another 17 trucks. What can we expect in terms of the timeline of when they may get through the crossing? Certainly, Jen. President Biden, when he was here last week, made very clear we're focused on several key issues. One is getting a continuous flow of humanitarian assistance into Gaza to meet the legitimate needs of its people. The second is to work to get our American nationals, their families, those who have worked with us in Gaza safely out. Now, we were successful in working with teams in Cairo, here in Israel, with the United Nations to move that very first convoy yesterday, 20 trucks. There are an additional 15 trucks en route today. Um, our expectation and the substance of our discussion with all sides is that starting tomorrow, you'll be seeing a continuous flow of assistance moving. We want to build that flow up to the levels necessary to begin to meet Gaza's needs. But, Jen, I've got a key point to make here, which President Biden made uh, quite directly. Um, this is for the legitimate needs of the people in Gaza. If Hamas interferes with, seizes, or diverts this assistance, it will, as a practical matter, make it very difficult for this assistance to continue, and it will be another demonstration of Hamas's lack of concern for the welfare of the Palestinian people. I want to ask you about Hamas as well. And just to, for clarity, because this is important for people to understand, 15 additional trucks, you expect those to move through tomorrow, it sounds like. Is that correct? And then continuous, does that mean a convoy you're hoping to get tonight. through every day? Tonight. Tonight with the 15, and you're hoping to get through Gen convoys tonight. regularly. Tonight. Tonight. Um, I wanted to ask you Daily. just about Hamas. 
daily, daily 15 trucks tonight and daily uh, convoys through, which would be significant. That, that's very helpful clarity. I, I wanted to ask you just about Hamas and how you prevent, to the degree you can, Hamas from getting a hold of this aid. How do you make sure it goes to the right people? Well, the president's very clear messaging, Secretary Blinken has reflected it as well, um, ought to put Hamas on notice uh, that if it diverts assistance, if it seizes assistance, the assistance as a practical matter is going to be severely hindered, if not stopped. Uh, and there ought to be international support in a common expression of concern, real concern for the Palestinian people and against Hamas taking such steps. But at the end of the day, they will bring on themselves and, sadly, the people of Gaza, the consequences of such actions. I wanted to ask you about fuel, because Israel has reportedly has concerns about fuel moving through, that it could be used by Hamas, could be weaponized. Fuel is, of course, also, though, very much needed for the hospitals, for clean water. How close are we to seeing fuel getting into Gaza? Look, we very much understand the critical role that fuel for these essential humanitarian functions plays. But you have to start somewhere. No assistance of any kind had moved into Gaza uh, since the beginning of uh, this campaign, following the horrific massacre conducted by Hamas. We have begun just yesterday moving medicine, medical supplies, food and feeding assistance, and water and we're going to continue to make that our focus in the immediate future. How concerned are you with all of the work that is going on and your front and center on about the access of clean water, accessibility to clean water on the ground? That has been reported as a big, dire situation. It, it is indeed, Jen. And we have been working with the Israeli government with respect to the restoration of flow uh, through two key pipelines. One of those pipelines... Uh, was indeed restored. We're working with them on the status of the other. The other question I had, you're, you're doing this in, in very difficult circumstances. Just to restate, there is this p likelihood or possibility of a ground invasion. How, does, will that make the delivery of aid impossible? Or, or how will you still continue to deliver aid if there's a ground invasion? We will have as robust a capacity to deliver needed assistance through the Rafah crossing to the southern communities of Gaza um, as we can. Uh, any decision by the Israeli military that involves the north will, of course, have an impact, which is why they have focused, we are focusing on addressing the very significantly increased population of Palestinians in the south of the Gaza Strip. There were two American hostages freed. That's obviously a, a big development. There are, of course, more being held, but there are also hundreds of Americans who are now being, uh, who are now trying to get out through the uh, Rafa crossing. Are, should, are, are you encouraged or should we be encouraged that that is coming soon, given that there has been aid flowing in? Or what, what should our expectation be on the timeline there? Well, our expectation is that all foreign nationals including the almost 1,000 Americans, those with family, the staff who worked for us, uh, for our mission in Gaza, uh, will indeed be able to depart as rapidly as possible. Nothing is simple. 
uh, the issue of movement through Rafah out of Gaza is as complicated as was the movement of humanitarian assistance in. But you're quite right that the opening of the crossing for assistance to head to the people of Gaza was an essential, critical first step towards what we want to achieve, President wants to achieve, which is getting our people out to safety. Last week, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said it was Hamas that was holding up people being able to depart. Is it primarily Hamas? Are the Egyptians holding it up? Who, who is preventing people from leaving? Answer is very simple. It is Hamas, full stop. It has been, you spent several days in Egypt uh, as a part of your whirlwind tour there over the past couple of weeks. It seems that they are, or there are reports, I should say, that they are afraid to take in Palestinian refugees because of concern Hamas might move with them. We have seen this happen in the past. Is the acceptance of refugees, was that a part of your conversation? Uh, do you, are you hopeful that they will be willing to do that in the near future? Jen, I have not yet been to Cairo. That's coming up next week. But I can answer your question. The government of Egypt, um, as a matter of their definition of existential national security, rejects the idea of Palestinian refugees or Palestinian settlement on their soil in the Sinai. This is a longstanding point. I see absolutely no change in it, no change possible. The people of Gaza need to be able to live secure lives in Gaza. And that requires an end to Hamas's ability to govern, to exploit, and to dominate with their terror. David Satterfield, you have a very difficult job. You have had many difficult jobs in the past. Thank you for your service, and thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Up next, she promised to release the Kraken, but all she delivered were crackpot theories. Sidney Powell becomes the first major player in the Fulton County case to plead guilty. And Kenneth Chesbro was right behind her. I'll break down why that's bad news for Donald Trump coming up next. Lots and lots of bad faith actors helped Donald Trump try to overturn the 2020 election. We've read it in all the indictments. But few went all out the way campaign lawyer Sidney Powell did. President Trump won this election in a landslide. It's going to be irrefutable. And I'm going to release the Kraken. Landslide. And now as one of 19 defendants in Georgia's election interference case, Sidney Powell has led the way again. How do you plead to the six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties? Guilty. Man, what a difference a few years and the threat of jail time can make. This week, Powell became the first Trump lawyer in the case to take a plea deal that will keep her out of prison. Instead, she'll serve probation, pay almost $9,000 in fines and restitution, and write an apology letter to the citizens of Georgia. And she agreed to, quote, truthfully testify at all hearings and proceedings and trials involving the co-defendants, one of whom is, of course, Donald Trump. So she never released the Kraken, it turns out, but she may be opening the floodgates because just a day after Powell pled out, co-defendant Kenneth Chesbrough brought jury selection in his trial to a halt with a surprise announcement. How do you plead to count 15 conspiracy to commit filing false documents in indictment number 23SC188947? Guilty. 
Chesbro took a similar deal to Powell's to avoid jail time. Now, I'm not a lawyer, as I often say, but it seems like if you try and overturn an election, you get caught and then only have to serve some probation, pay some fees and write an apology. Seems like a pretty good deal. The question now is, what can they offer in return? What do they know? Where were they? What did they see? Who better to ask than Neil Katiel and Andrew Weissman? Our in-house law firm joins me after a very quick break. They're back. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Whether it is a sermon or a prayer, in places of worship around the world, religious leaders are facing a difficult task as the world watches what's happening in the Middle East. One of them is the senior pastor at one of this country's most historic churches, who also happens to be a U.S. senator. Long before the terrorist attack on Israel and ensuing war, I had planned to spend a day on the road in Georgia with Senator Raphael Warnock. It ended up being a much different conversation than the one I expected to have. During our conversation, we talked about how this conflict is impacting communities here at home. It's all... uh brings up a reminder of the amount of anti-Semitism we've seen across our country. And I know you've been outspoken about that and worked with a number of interfaith leaders yourself. How important in this moment is it for faith leaders to speak out about anti-Semitism and really make that a priority? We have to speak out against anti-Semitism. We have to speak out against hatred and bigotry Mm -hmm. wherever it rears its ugly head. Uh, Dr. King said it best, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I believe that at my core and in my heart. And so I'm going to be doing everything I can um, to urge us, even in the midst of of, uh, this pain and chaos, never to turn our backs on the prospects of peace. Mm -hmm. We cannot afford to give up on peace. We've got to respond in the short term to the conditions on the ground. uh, I can only imagine the agony that families are feeling uh, with their loved ones being held as hostages. Mm-hmm. And so we have to pay attention to that. And it is it is a reminder of the importance of American leadership mm-hmm. on the global stage. And it's the reason why I'm so very concerned about the chaos, the politics of brinksmanship that we're seeing in Washington. We're seeing in real time that when politicians center themselves rather than the national interests and the people that they were sent to serve. It has implications not only for our economy, uh, it has national security implications. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world needs America to stand up and be America in this moment. And not to politicize what is clearly a tragedy. And you you touched on this a little bit, or from listening to you, it feels like you touched on this. Uh, You have just strongly condemned, of course, as everyone should, the terrorist attack and the the impact on the people of Israel. There are also thousands of Palestinians who have nothing 
are, are not linked to Hamas, who are could lose their lives, um, who are at risk of losing their lives. Um, there is a risk here of Palestinians around the world being uh, having hatred uh, geared at them. How, how should we think about that or talk about that in this moment? Yeah, I, I think we have to be very focused on it. Um, I think that uh, justice and human dignity uh, provides the necessary framework for peace. And um, what I don't want to see uh, is uh, some 15-year-old boy uh, uh, in Gaza uh, dis- deciding that that Hamas is the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, if we want a sustainable peace, uh, we have to think about children on both sides of this conflict. Here's one thing that all of us have in common. None of us got to decide where we would be born in the world. We just showed up. Mm-hmm. And um, as a pastor, um, I'm just always urging us to see each other's children. That's another thing we have in common. I think all of us love our children. And the policy that we would put forward is a letter to our children. And we ought to be thinking whether we're talking about national security uh, or talking about the sustainability of democracy in our own country. We ought to be asking ourselves what we want that letter to say. I do want to ask you just about a couple things that feel conflicting to me about our democratic system. It's such a huge, important issue. I mean, there were a number of Republican elected leaders in your state who, of course, um, spoke out, pushed back in the days after the 2020 election uh, to the actions of Donald Trump. Um, what did you make of that as you read that indictment? It did lead to the indictment. Did it surprise you that these leaders spoke out? Does it say something about the state? Well, look... Um I think that um, we are witnessing an all-out assault on our democracy. And all of us ought to be clear uh, in our um, outrage, in our rejection uh, of these anti-democratic efforts that we're seeing Mm -hmm. all across our country. Um, The lies that were told by the previous president uh, have consequences. We've seen them right here in Georgia with ordinary everyday election workers who've been intimidated and harassed, have literally had their lives turned upside down. Are you worried? And obviously, Ruby and Shay, there's so many more yes. like them and their story is so um, inspiring, disheartening at the same time. Are, are you worried that election workers are going to be w- too scared to work in the next election. Well, we, we are we're seeing data and we're hearing reports of election workers who are saying, I, I, I don't think I'll continue to do this. What a sad commentary. What yeah. a moment. Um, and it's the reason why I remain focused on this issue. We have a lot of issues that confront us as elected elite as elected leaders. But for me, Democracy is not just another issue alongside other issues. It's the very framework in which we get to fight. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we strengthen the democracy. We have to reject uh, those voices that are, are, are trying to tear us apart, the arsonists that want to burn down the house mm-hmm. of democracy. 
There's obviously a big case that's coming up in Fulton County. It's ongoing, of course, um, and I'm not going to ask you to predict anything there. But the outcome of that, as a uniter, which I think you definitely are, the outcome of that could be the conviction of Donald Trump, and it could be jail time for Donald Trump. Do you think he should serve jail time if he's convicted? I believe in equal protection under the law. I believe that um, nobody is above the law. Nobody. And um, Donald Trump uh, deserves his day in court before a jury of his peers. And in this case, uh, these will be the people of Georgia who I am deeply honored to serve. But do you think if he's convicted, and I ask this question because there are different schools of thought um, that if you put a former president in jail, despite all of the things that he did, that would be a divisive move for the country. Um, there are other things that could happen. He could be in Mar-a-Lago. He could be under house confinement. Do you think there's a, an approach that would be better for the country moving forward, um, given that there's also a lot of people who would like to very much see him in jail if he's convicted? First of all, let me just say that, that I do believe in equal protection under the law. Donald Trump, even in the midst of all the things we've heard with him on tape, saying, can you find me a few more votes? He's innocent until proven guilty. And so I don't want to get ahead of that process. I respect the judicial process. Um, but I do think that it is a test of the maturity of a democracy uh, to see whether or not we live up to the principles that we hold up. We're going to be showing you much more of my day with Senator Warnock in the weeks ahead. And we're coming right back after a quick break, so don't go anywhere. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.